countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, it's now time for more of the last comic shop! That is right. We are opening up the shop to newbies, allowing them to put on their Cerebro helmet thing and find new comic book readers and listeners. Well, we're keeping the lights on for the oldies that are confused by what the hell is going on and why is the X-Universe the way that it is? <laughs> well, I mean, that's just par for the course with the X. Right! right? You expect a bit of confusion when you read an X-book. Right. I wholeheartedly agree. As we'll get to our review later in the show, we're reading an X-Men book, and I was like, confused as shit for a little while, and then eventually... Action will happen, and it'll be okay. I'm the host of The Most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And welcome back to The Last Comic Shop. And welcome back, Chad! Yay! Chad was uh, absent last week. We gave him a week off. And we're really happy to have Chad back this week to talk about this X-Men book. Yes, it's J.A.'s pick, Inferno, and not the one that you think of. I know that immediately when you say Inferno, you think of Madeline Pryor in 80s. and Louise Simonson, yes, but it's not... Not that one. But while Jay's bringing X-Men, I'm bringing Umbridge, sir. (laughs) (laughs) What is your Umbridge, sir? So I missed a week, which which happens not often, but it happens. And the week I'm out, you guys do a trivia quiz. I didn't get to defend my my belt. Oh, that's true. Although we don't have Mikey on this show, so he he can't, like, go head-to-head with you. So I guess we're going to have to find another sucker to go up against you, our reigning champion of all quizzes. But luckily for everybody listening to The Last Comic Shop this week, I have a perfect one that not only fits J.A.'s strengths as being our resident X-Men fan, but also Chad by being our resident just guy that knows everything. Guy that wins all the quizzes. So I'm going to lose is basically what you're saying. But you're setting me up. You're setting me up to lose badly because I'm the resident quote unquote X-Man guy. Oh, I see how I'm for it. Any case, on today's program, as I mentioned, this is a quiz all about the X-Men. Now, standard quiz rules for the last comic shop. Each of you will get ten questions. Some of them will be multiple choice. Some of them will not. But whoever has the most uh, answers right at the end of the quiz will be considered the winner and will not be hunted down by sentinels in the middle of the night. Yikes. I know, right? Not there's anything more terrifying than that. I mean... I just don't understand how those are street legal. Like, they're just walking around in neighborhoods. They're just like, yeah, it's fine that we just got these giant robots. We got to get those muties, right? They're government sponsored. <laughs> I just never really thought it. The government wouldn't make a mistake with something like that. My favorite thing is they're like the palm cables, <laughs> the tentacles. Yes. Any case, we're going to flip a coin to see who goes first. And like we did last week, just because you win the coin toss does not mean you get to go first. It means you get to choose who gets to go first. So, uh, J.A., you're the oldest. You call it in the air. Heads. It is tails. Of course uh, it is. Chad, would you like firsts or would you like to defer? I will defer. Oh. I should have asked which round had the easier questions. I'll take that one, please, and thank you. All right. Question number one. Which X-Men supervillain owns his own amusement park? I gotta go with Mr. Sinister. What? What the fuck? was Arcade. I didn't guess Arcade because I said that's too on the nose. (laughs) 
All right, question number two, and this is a gimme. If you don't get this one, I will be very upset with you. What is Professor X's first name? Charles. That is correct. He's on the board with one, folks. On the board with one. Question number three. Which X-Men died trying to capture Count Nefaria? Was it Cyclops? Uh, Too many Ks. Psylocke, <laughs> the Phoenix, Colossus, or Thunderbird? Thunderbird. That is correct. Wasn't Thunderbird, was that his younger brother who was on X-Force? His younger yeah. brother. Proud. Was that yeah. Warpath? Yes. Warpath. Warpath. There you go. Question number four. What is the name of Magneto's secret hideout? Oh, uh, Asteroid M. That is correct. Look at you. I'm regretting not taking this first round of questioning. <laughs> Question number five. Which of the X-Men did Dracula choose for his undead bride? Would it be Psylocke, Mystique, Storm, or Phoenix? Storm. That is correct. When the X-Men discover Storm is in a hospital with an injured jugular, Kitty guesses the truth, that she was a victim of a vampire. But Storm's teammates show faith in her, and they manage to break the hypnotic hold that Dracula has on. It's gotta be pretty tough. I know, right? Yeah. Question number six. Who is Cyclops' father? Uh, Starjammer. He is a member of the Starjammers. Uh, okay, wait. It, it, uh, uh, shoot. Uh, swashbuckling. Captain Pete. I, f- I can't remember. Rough wind. <laughs> Corsair. Corsair, yes. That's right. He was a member of the Starjammers, so you were very close. Him and Chode. They were best yes. buddies. Chode. <laughs> All right. Question number seven. Who killed the Dark Phoenix? Gladiator, Cyclops, Jean Grey, or Professor X? Cyclops. That is incorrect. The correct answer is Jean Grey. Grey. She killed herself. That's right. When Phoenix inevitably killed the inhabitants of an entire planetary system after consuming its star, the Shire Empire sent its Imperial Guard to demand that she pay with her life. The X-Men vowed to protect Jean... But Gene's personality managed to take control, and Phoenix committed suicide. Yay! Jim Shooter demanded it. Yes, he did. And then, and then they were not meant to bring her back, and they brought her back, and Claremont was not happy. Question number eight. Which villain turned Angel into Archangel? Apocalypse. That is correct. Question number nine. Which X-Men challenged Callisto to become the leader of the Morlocks? That is correct, too. Look at you. Coming in at the end. And finally, who was the first mutant Professor X recruited to join his X-Men? I think it's Jean Grey. I think you she say was Jean there first. Grey. That is incorrect. The answer was Cyclops, Old Slim. He was rescued from foster care of Jack Winters, a mutant criminal known as Jacko Diamonds, and was enlisted by Xavier to become the first member of his X-Men. Yeah, he's the first member, but uh, but Jean Grey then walks in the room. Oh, this is Jean. She's been here, too, all along. <laughs> I think she was first. Uh, I think they let's, retconned let's, that. You got six. Good job. Good job. Well, Chad's going right. to take this. I don't know. We'll see. Chad, are you ready for your 10 questions? I'm ready. All right. Number one. Which member of the Hellfire Club was instrumental in turning Jean Grey into the Black Queen? Uh, Mastermind. 
That would be correct, Jason Regard, a.k.a. Mastermind. I almost said Master Mold, but that's a different thing. That is true. Question number two, who was the first X-Man to destroy his or her brood parasite? Was it Cyclops, Professor X, Wolverine, or Storm? I'm going to say Wolverine. Correct. When the X-Men were kidnapped by the brood, they were implanted with brood embryos that would eventually hatch. But Wolverine's embryo could not remold his adamantium skeleton and died in the attempt. Suck on that, brood. <laughs> Question number three. Boy, you've got actually do have some tough ones. Which X-Men merged with a whale-like extraterrestrial? Would that be Angel, Storm, Nightcrawler, or Phoenix? What? <laughs> <laughs> Stab in the dark. A whale-like extraterrestrial. I'm going to say Phoenix. That is Nightcrawler. The correct answer is Storm. After critically wounding herself in an attempt to destroy the prude parasite, it's the same story, evidently. Storm was discovered by the Akante, a peaceful spacefaring species that roughly resemble reddish-brown whales. Don't the brood use them as interplanetary ships now? Maybe. I think so. I I don't know enough. That's why I'm not taking the quiz. Okay. (laughs) Question number four, Chad. What was Kitty Pryde's original code name? Was it Sprite, Puck, Ariel, or Pixie? Oh, I gotta say Sprite. Was Sprite. Sprite and then Ariel. Yes. Storm christened Kitty with her very first code name of Sprite. Ariel was the second. Question number five. What device did Professor X create to help him locate mutants? Cerebro. Cerebro is correct. Question number six. Which Morlock clipped Angel's wings? Was that Caliban, Callisto, Sunder, or Mask? I'm going to say Caliban. That is incorrect. Mm. Callisto. Callisto with the knives. Angel to be her Morlock prince and clipped his pinned feathers to prevent him from escaping and injuring himself flying around the dark underground tunnels. Uh-oh. Makes me nervous. This is more of a contest than I would have liked. Uh-huh. Question number seven. Who gave Psylocke her bionic eyes? Mojo, Professor X, Deathbird, or Apocalypse? I'm gonna say Mojo. That is correct. In New Mutants Annual number two, Betsy Braddock, kidnapped from the Alps by Mojo, brainwashed and given cybernetic eyes. And referred to as Psylocke for the very first time. That's the Betsy Braddock Psylocke, not the Quanon Psylocke. Correct. <laughs> Question number eight. Which X-Man is related to Black Tom Cassidy? This is not a multiple choice. <laughs> Banshee. That is correct. Oh, let me just name a, another Irishman. <laughs> Say Siren from X-Force, but then... Well, she would have been also related since yeah. she related to Banshee. Oh, boy. won it. Question number nine. I think he has with this one. Which X-Man was kidnapped by the Demon Lord and spent seven years in limbo? Well, that's just not fair. That's not fair. J.A.'s favorite. Uh, What's her name again? No, it's magic. Oh, magic is correct. We we, we require her birth name, please. Ileana Rasputin. Uh, actually, it's Rasputina, but that's okay. <laughs> it's just because Marvel didn't know that family names in Russian, when they're female, end in an A. And if Marvel didn't know it, I don't know it, buddy. <laughs> and finally, question number 10, just to put you over the top, Chad. Over the top. Which villain was almost Wolverine's brother-in-law? 
Silver Samurai. That is correct. Wolverine was engaged to Mariko, who was Silver Samurai's half-sister. But the wedding was halted by the supervillain mastermind. I think, is that in that Wolverine story that you that you recommended last week, J.A.? It is not. Oh, it's It's not. not. No, that Wolverine story ends with the wedding invitation. Ah, I see. The X-Men getting the wedding invitation. All right. Well, Chad, how many did you have? Eight to J.A. Six. Eight. Chad is the reigning champion of trivia here at the last comic show. He always gets the layups. He gets the layups. it was a valiant effort. Valiant effort. Valiant effort, sir. And we will want, we will see whether or not the uh, new Inferno series was a valiant effort to be better than the original one. That was the Outback X-Men. Those were the best, best lineup. Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. Hi, everyone. I'm Nick Palatichuk. I'm an independent film director and screenwriter. I'm also an independent comic book artist and creator. I want to let you know about my podcast, The St. Paul Filmcast. It's a weekly podcast where I interview other independent filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Radio, as well as our distributor, Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So, if you're interested in how independent films get made or the process of filmmaking, also, if you're interested in other artists' process and works as well, Tune into my show, the St. Paul Filmcast, where it's not over till the guests say it's over. More to the last comic shop, and it is now time for our read pile review. Yes, that time when beauty is not a dirty word here. It's actually something that we're proud of. We're mutants, and we're proud. We live on cocoa with trees. The trees and the bushes and the giant eggs and gold balls. And we are finishing up the current end of Hickman's run of the X-Men. He started in Hawks and Pox, House of X, Powers of Ten. There was Ten of Swords, which we did on this show a little while ago, and now we're doing Inferno, which kind of wraps it up in some ways. So, uh, Chad, who who did this particular... Was it a miniseries? It was a miniseries, right? It was his own thing. So, yeah, yes. we did the collection that includes Inferno 1 through 4, published in 2022. Uh, it was written by Jonathan Hickman, as we alluded to. Uh, it had a number of artists uh, across the book. It was uh, R.B. Silva, Stefano Caselli, and Valerio Shidi were pencilers. Uh, occasionally, I think it was just on issue three, they were helped out by Adriano de Vendetto, 
And then David Curiel was the color artist throughout all four issues. Well, there you go. All right, J.A., I'm going to put you on the spot as a resident X-Man fan. You have exactly one minute to get everybody that hasn't been reading anything that's been going on with the Krakoa X-Men up to speed so that when we give the 10 cents synopsis, they aren't completely lost. Starting now! Okay, this whole series is based on Hickman, where he basically made Moira McTaggart a mutant who, when she dies, she resets the timeline, and she's done that nine times previously and every time the mutants lose so in the tenth time she wants to do things different she tells charles she's a mutant charles teams up with magneto they create this island on krakoa where all the mutants will live and then all the mutants go to krakoa they have this weird transportation device system where they can just walk through a a portal and go anywhere oh and mutants can't die now because it can be reborn in golden balls and they come back as long as they backed up their system to cerebro they remember everything if they forgot to do their backups then uh they're going to be missing some files and and maybe they can't operate properly they get a that's it we got time time can we ask questions, or we, do we have to go on right away? No, no, we can ask questions. Oh, this good. is an important part. So when w- McTaggart resets the timeline, is that just in the X-Universe? Is that everything? It's like It's everything, and no one knows about it except for, and this is where we're getting into it, Destiny. <laughs> but so all of the Marvel Universe proper has been... Uh, to the best of our knowledge, this lifetime of uh, Moira McTaggart. Yeah, so so 616 is essentially the 10th live of Moira McTaggart. Wow! Now, wait a minute. Including everything leading up to Hox and Pox? Yes. When she was on the farm with Jamie Madrox and all that other stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hickman didn't retcon all that stuff. He just added it. Okay, value added. Yeah! Which, I mean, it's not the craziest thing I've ever heard, honestly. I mean, because like... The interesting thing is that, and comes a major plot point in Inferno, is no one except for Magneto and Professor X know that she's a mutant. They hide her. They do. They hide her in an underground bunker that even Krakoa doesn't even know about. Yes. That's now, the Inferno. Now, we should point out the fact that for those people that aren't reading the X-Men, Krakoa is a living island. I is it a mutant? I don't think it's a mutant. It feeds off of mutants. It needs mutants to live. But they get to this point, and because and, Doug is sort of the uh, the sort of hero of the whole thing, he figures out that when they get a critical mass, Krakoa can just sort of feed off the energy of all the mutants having a party on the island. Ah, that's Doesn't why they have, have to have the Hellfire Gauntlets. Yeah, because previously he was feeding Krakoa with Warlock. Now, speaking of, that's another thing we should bring up. So you have to make sure that we're feeding the fans that aren't reading X-Men. Doug is this guy named Cypher, who's a member of the New Mutants, or Uh, wasn't a member of the New Mutants. Yeah, old New Mutant from way back in the day. So he's been around for a long time. His mutant ability is to speak to anything. He's a linguistics expert, and uh, he's bonded with Warlock, who makes up his arm. I don't know. X-Men are all about wearing arm sheaths. (laughs) And and pouches. It's it's the new pouch. Yes, it's the new. (laughs) 
Now that you've gotten us up to speed, what happens in the 10 cent synopsis of this actual event? And how is it different than the Inferno that happened in the 80s? Which okay, some so of our old comic books. It has things. nothing to do with the 1980s Inferno. And that is probably one of my major sticking points of this is it's badly named. Mm. Not only do they name it after an event that already happened, they named it after an event that already happened so it's kind of confusing and uh this is one of the things i had umbrage with again uh i, I took it to tom brevoort and i was like oh you would hope the house of ideas would have uh what do you call that more ideas <laughs> when it comes to naming their storylines and brevoort was like yeah i know the editor of that one i don't think he'll mind and we'll just have to agree to disagree but it's dumb it's dumb and i hate it they need to let stories have their own names. Yeah, especially this one that has nothing to do with Inferno. Anyways, what does this have to do with? This has to do with Hickman getting out of the whole thing that he set up, essentially. Okay, <laughs> Burning it to the ground as he goes. No, he it, didn't actually do it. He, he didn't burn it to the ground. Right, he sort of I'll, left it as all. He basically Mystique and Destiny trying to kill Moira McTaggart because her big thing is she's trying to not save mutants, but cure mutants, because she thinks having the mutant gene is a curse. So it is the conclusion of the storyline of Moira McTaggart. Mystique does Mystique things, and by the way, so much cooler, so much cooler than anything they ever did with Mystique in the new movies. If you like the Jennifer Lawrence Mystique, you can wait outside, please, because this is so much better. I, I hate Jennifer Lawrence Mystique because they took this great, great character, and because Jennifer Lawrence became a huge star, then Mystique can't be evil. And Mystique is – she's not a good person. She's complicated. <laughs> and you need Re Rebecca Romaine Mystique kind of. Man. I am. I am much more of a Rebecca Romaine Mystique. Anyways, she does Mystique things. She brings back her wife, Destiny. And I love when she brings her back because, you know, you can reincarnate now in this Marvel X-Men world, the Hickman X-Men world. She doesn't bring her back as an old lady. She brings her back as a young as a, oh, as yeah. a, a, a young she hotness. Because that's how we – I, I brought you back how we met. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did, Mystique. Yeah, you did. Uh, inside politics maneuvering to get her onto the Quiet Council, which is this council of 12 – X-Men who oversee Krakoa, essentially. They're the government, if you will. Does an end around around Professor X and Magneto who are harboring the secret that Moira and Taggart not only A is a mutant, but B has been sort of pulling the strings and telling them how they need to proceed because obviously she's lived this before, right? And she's trying to change things. But on the other end, there's this giant space station that's on the sun where Nimrod is. Who's come back from a future where mutants always win, and he's trying to change the past so that robots win? Did I? Did I? I think I missed some spots, but yeah, you there's, did. there's this uh, there's this other chick from the future who comes back who's also a robot that All right. a robot, and she's Listen, with Nimrod. In Jay's defense, any Hickman book is traditionally accompanied by at least one full page of text. Oh yeah, so oh, this one has like eight of them. Yeah, the timeline, the infographics. Listen, I, I, I do love Hickman. And my initial thoughts on this is I, I do love Hickman's writing for the most part. Again, Secret Wars, 
um, in 2015 was one of my favorite events in comic books probably ever. It's I, I think it's even better than the original Secret Wars, which says a lot. And and the first thing I'll say is like going into this X Men book, I, I I will say on this show I am not the X Men fan. I've never been the X Men fan primarily because I find the X Men to be confusing as hell, and most of the time I feel lost just stepping into an X Men book. And trust me, I felt very lost in this one. It was just the fact that like. I knew I was going into this, reading it for this week, and so I kind of put a sheen over my brain. And I was just like, yeah, there are going to be pages where I'm just going to skip them. It's going to be a bunch of stuff that I, I don't really care about. And then I'm going to get into awesome fights. Like, there's this great fight where Charles Xavier and Magneto fight Nimrod, who is basically one of the most powerful Sentinels ever created. And Nimrod's girlfriend. Yes! Uh, his arm candy, this, like... Metal mouth lady that's I, I just again and, and they, they like slaughter all these human beings and they're like it's just mutants and robots. And and so I, I will say that it was exciting at times. It was it was thrilling at times. The inner politics, uh mystique manipulating all the members of this quiet council into getting destiny on the council, and honestly. Any single time that you can see somebody get a one-up on Charles Xavier, who is one of the biggest dicks of the Marvel Universe, awesome sauce. Because you always like to see a dick get his comeuppance. Hickman leaned into, like, Professor X does not come out well in this at all. The only people who really come off well in this book is probably Emma Frost. Oh, no, Doug comes off great. And Doug. Ramsey is... He's, He's like, let's just things. try to be better. Let's try to be better. Because as I said, the first time they they explain sort of how the gates were made and how the the drugs were made, because the big thing about Krakoa is the mutants can go anywhere with these gates. They plant a, a Krakoan seed and it can grow into a gate in a couple of hours or whatnot. But only mutants and but can only mutants still can, not get through there? Krakoa doesn't allow all mutants to go through the gate. There's some mutants that can't because of their powers. Kitty Pride, she can't go through the gates. I like the world building with Doug Ramsey when he created the island with Warlock. So Warlock's circuitry is throughout the entire island, so he can basically eavesdrop on anyone. Oh, yeah, that was neat. And going back, being an old school New Mutants fan, I remember, you know, when Doug passed away and Warlock was dealing with that and all, all those emotional stories. And whenever they came back and fused together as Douglock. Yes, and like, it's great to see Warlock, my self-friend. And then at the end, when he sees Moira McTaggart, goodbye, not my self-friend. <laughs> <laughs> Warlock's the best. So uh, my take on this, and I, it's weird because... I have lots of questions and I have lots of like internal conflict about this series. I've already mentioned before. I hate how it's called Inferno when it's, there's no Nastrish, there's no Madeline Pryor. And they're going to bring those things into the X-Men universe. Eventually that just grates on me a little bit, but I will say before I do any more nitpicking, this is really well done. This is game of Thrones, only science fiction. So you get all the palace intrigue, you get all the the backstabbing and double crossing, you know, you get the people working uh, to befuddle or you know sneak things past other people. You get all that. Only this time around, it's that science fiction X Men setting, and instead of night walkers, you get robots. And so it is really well done. It is intriguing. Whenever you pick these books up, 
they are entertaining. They are quality comic books. With that said, do they need to be X-Men books? I don't know. Because I don't think I would ever pick them up if they weren't X-Men books. At the same time, I don't think the characterization or a lot of the things that are happening you know, reflect what I've always known about X characters. And we always give uh, Dan Slott the business. And we say, you know, Dan Slott has some really great ideas. And the best Dan Slott books are when he's dealing with characters that you don't care anything about. And I feel like that's what Hickman, his characterizations might not be on. But he has great ideas, and it's an intriguing story, and it's like, you want to know what's going to happen. You want to know who's going to double-cross who. Uh, You want to know with all these flashbacks and flash-forwards what's going on. But yeah, like I said, I'm torn at the end of the day because there are so many steps that I don't agree with that I'm like, well, no, that's not how that would be. And like, it's really cool they're making Doug into a badass, but Doug's never been a badass. (laughs) They make him into a badass in a very Doug way. He's a badass because he does the right thing. That's true. Yeah. In in, in a world where everyone else is all about, you know, double crossing and, and he's like, no, let's just try to be better. By the way, did you notice that like Doug's becoming the Mr. Miracle of the Marvel Universe? He's got like a big Barda, you know, awesome wife that like stands behind him ready to bitch slap anybody that gets in his way. He's got cool weapons. He's he's reasonable among the rest of the mutants, kind of like Mr. Miracle's reasonable among the new gods. I just thought he was the kid that ends up winning Game of Thrones that got pushed out by Jamie Lannister at the beginning. Bram. Yeah. Sees all the stuff that's going on and right. just hanging back, chilling. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, you can find that review on X of Swords. That's where he meets his wife. Uh, yes. We, we, yeah. we did review that evergreen show. I feel like a beacon. <laughs> nice pluck. <laughs> Well, in any case, we're going to get to our ratings right after these commercial breaks because we could talk about this for a long time, but we already have. So stay tuned. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. What happens when 20-something Madison is zapped into old-time radio shows? No technology. Ugh, I want to go to voicemail. No Starbucks. Don't call yourself a coffee shop if you only sell drip coffee. And no one is PC. I don't need no lip from... Were you about to say woman? Because I'm wearing a gun and I have no idea how to use it. Madison on the Air serves to highlight the way we were and the way we are today with original radio drama scripts adapted to include the modern-day Madison as she joins famous characters from radio's past, including Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never actually said that. Marshal Matt Dillon. We're not having a shootout with a 10-year-old kid. I'm too woke to be a part of this. Superman. I didn't realize how cold it would be flying like this. I have to get into the higher atmosphere. And many more. Visit us on the web at madisonontheair.com or find us pretty much any place podcasts can be found. You talk so old-timey. I have no idea what you said, but it's adorbs. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings. To me, my X-Men. X-Men. That is a very weird thing to yell. It's an awful battle cry. I don't understand that. I don't understand that at all. And why does Colossus have a beard? 
that's a question I have for you, J.A., because I know that one of the storylines of this particular uh, Inferno story is is the fact that they have to replace people on the Quiet Council. There's two missing spots. Now, I do know that Apocalypse left. He was one of the original members, and he left in Ten of Swords because we read that, again, available on LastComicShopPodcast.com. <laughs> Who left the other spot? I want to say it was it was Jean Grey. Jean Grey left. Why did she leave? She left so that they could have more X-Books to sell. <laughs> Purely commercial reasons. Destiny takes Apocalypse's spot, and Colossus takes Marvel Girl, Jean Grey's spot, because she left to create the new X-Men. Whatever. I, I Regardless, they bring Colossus to be a member of this team, which first off, I was just like, why the hell is Colossus there? Like, he's just this guy. Like, I don't understand... But, like, he also has, like, a, a a black beard. And I'm just like, how does that work with organic metal? Like, shouldn't it be metal? Because, like, none of his other body hair is black. <laughs> his he- the tear on his head is. But that should be silver, too. None of his arm hair is black. And never mind. Any case, what, what, is our, what is our scale for this week? It's not metal beards as much as you want it to be. <laughs> well, I mean, this is about the lives and wanted death of Moira McTaggart. So we're just, we'll do uh, how many Moira McTaggart lives are you giving this book? That's a great sound effect. <laughs> yes. Enjoy that one, kids. All right, we're going to go with Chad first because um, I'll be interested to hear what Chad said. Okay, yeah, I'm still, there is internal conflict on this series because I enjoyed what I read. I thought it was entertaining. I enjoyed the palace intrigue. I, I still haven't wrapped my brain around this being the X-Men now. Like, I know the X-Men has always been known for its soap opera-like goings-on, but this whole, like, just science fiction-y angle to the X-Men, I still haven't bought in. But every time we read one of these books, with the exception of Tennisaurs, which are just overbloated, I, I enjoy them, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I'm going to give it a, a, a contingent three... Where it was fine comic booking, the art was fun, uh, the storytelling was clear, even with all the timelines and charts and everything else, and it got me excited. I I still feel like, as much as these stories are, there's only a handful of characters that are getting moments to shine, Uh, and you have this whole X-Universe going on in the background that uh, they're not taking advantage of, and it just, I don't know, it goes back to me being conflicted. There's so much that's not being done, and so much that is that i just I, I can't tell if it's good or not i'll have to let you know in six years once it wraps up and everything's been told but uh yeah for now we'll say a contingent three out of four lives of moira mctaggart all right jay it was your pick what are you giving it i want to give it a four because i'm a big x-men fan i can't give it a four if anything else just because it's badly named it's so badly named <laughs> ah it's a very nice wrap-up to House of X, Powers of Ten. If you like that story, you'll love this story. They should sit on the bookshelf beside each other. I mean, you can put things in the middle if you want, like the uh, Hickman X-Men omnibus or the Hellfire Gala. These two books really bookend the Hickman X-Men experience. It makes Moira Mittaggart a mutant, and at the end of this book, spoiler alert, She's no longer a mutant. She goes back to being human and on the run. And then X lives of Wolverine, X deaths of Wolverine. He's going after her and, and, you know, the consequences of this. 
if I could say anything sort of besides the bad name of it is that like an X-Men book, you don't get a lot of finality. Things just sort of come to a point and then, okay, we're going to put a pause like Nimrod. He doesn't get killed. He, him and the X-Men, they just sort of, we're going to pause this and we're going to have to fight again. And Moira McTaggart, she's not killed. She just goes off into the ether. And yeah, okay, she's no longer a mutant. She's depowered. But this is Marvel. You know, depowering and repowering, these are things that happen all the time. Um, so it's a conclusion, but Hickman couldn't write himself a proper conclusion because they have to be able to make more X-Men books after yes. this. So that's sort of a, a minor whatever about this. Uh, it, it's fun. It's If you like Mystique, if you like the character of Destiny, they come off as great. Emma Frost is awesome in this. She is her best self, I think. But to Chad's point... You know, you you get like one panel of magic. You get Kate Pride is barely in it. Colossus is literally in it for one panel when he's introduced to the Quiet Council. That's it. He doesn't yeah. vote on anything. He doesn't do any counseling. Uh, but you, it, a lot of Doug Ramsey, though, as you said. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm gonna give it 3.75. Lives of Moira. All right. Well, I, I think I'm gonna piggyback on a couple things that you said here. Uh, honestly, and I think I'm going to the part I'm going to piggyback on is the fact that like a lot of X-Men books, it's just like kind of like, again, there's this pause button and it just continues. And again, I, I understand why. Not only is it because they have to s- sell more X books, but honestly, uh, it's going to be kind of a little bit of a renaissance for their X books. Like this whole notion of Krakoa and everything. A lot of other writers have found this to be a very interesting you know, environment to set the X-Men characters up with, right? It's a fertile ground for storytelling. There's a lot of things that you can do with this particular thing. But on the other side of this, it's a freaking punt. Let's say it like right now. It's a freaking punt by Jonathan Hickman. He set up all this stuff in House of X, Powers of Ten, and you were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be something that, like, Secret Wars, in, like, ten years, it's going to be enormous, and there's going to be this satisfying conclusion. No! He decided he didn't want to do X-Men anymore, so he's just like, you know what I can do? How can I punt the ball just enough so that it gives everybody an opportunity to write more X-Men stories, but we don't have to worry about this stupid Maura McTaggart thing where he can, she can reset the timeline. I'll get rid of that aspect and that aspect alone and everything else stays the same. And that's what he did here. He's like, I set up the story using Mora, and now I got to get rid of Mora so that people don't have to worry about her dying and resetting all this crap that I set up. So that's fine. But call it as it is. It's a punt. And it's a, it's a charming punt. It's a wonderful punt. I like Jonathan Hickman. I love Jonathan Hickman's ability to write aristocratic titans, right? That's what he does well. People that really hold power. Like Jonathan Hickman, whether it was like Reed Richards or Doctor Doom or, you know, Thanos or, or any of those real titans. He knows how to write people that really wield power and like, flex those muscles so you get things like charles xavier and magneto two of the most powerful mutants ever you get mystique and destiny and you get um emma frost you get like the real 
powerhouses mentally of the X-Men universe. You get them on full display, which is wonderful. And you get this great battle, Charles Xavier and, and Magneto being real buddies. Like, really, they're an awesome team when they work at it together. They're awesome uh, against Nimrod. So that's that's good, but that's a freaking punt. And so I can't give it more than a 2.75. It's better than average. It's better than an average X-Men book. But, like, compared to the other things we've read this year, seriously, even some of the things I gave threes to, this is a little bit of, like, above-average book. And, and, and if you're an X-Men fan, great, but I'm not. So I call them as I see them. This, this should have been a more satisfying conclusion in the end. Yeah, well, it, it's not. It's just a pause in the middle. <laughs> At some point, they've got to address the whole mutants cannot die thing. Yeah. See, as I said, it's like all the things that work for them. They, they, he's like, oh, I'll just keep that or I'll keep that. He's like, I'll get rid of the Mora thing, and that's it. Right, but that's the, the big problem is the X-Universe is so big. There's that part of me that wants to follow along with the story, but yeah. I'm not going to read 700 tie-in books as well it, as it, all it, these. It's not easy. I, sometimes it's a slog. I'm telling you, I'm going through this. I'm still on Dawn of X. I haven't even gotten to Reign of X. They're just dawning yet. They haven't rained. <laughs> <laughs> Those clouds are just being seeded. It hasn't rained yet. Yeah, there's so much there and so much is up in the air. And it's it's intriguing stuff. But it's, you know, you want more meat on the bone. Mm. I agree, Ed. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing that we hope uh, has a lot of meat on the bone is our recommendations. Yes, in addition to going out and buying Inferno, if you are so inclined at your local comic book shop, make sure that you're ch- also checking out some of these recommendations that we've got now. And we're going to go ahead and start off with J.A. Scott, who I think has a really good recommendation for folks that are picking up Inferno that maybe missed out on a lot of other stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're picking up Inferno, you should pick up House of X, Powers of Ten, because it's an X book, so there's going to be a lot of stuff that's weird and out there. But if you don't have that foundation, it's hard to really understand the story of Inferno, because it's the conclusion, if you will, of House of X, Powers of Ten, Hox and Pox, I'm just going to call it. Right. And don't try to get just one, because they're all one story, even though they have two different titles. Yes, you should get it in trade or get it in the hardbound if you can find it, because then you don't have to worry about which issue you need to read. It's not like I got to read one of House of X and then I've got to read one of Powers of Ten. And it's like then you've got to flip flop for the next issue run. It It's just easier if it's all bound together. You don't have to worry about printing out a chart, which is, I think, how they originally when they were shipping it in single issues, you had to buy it. It was like one of these things. You got one of these fold out posters that told you how anytime a comic book company needs to put a poster together to tell you how to read a comic book then you know it's damn convoluted <laughs> that's Hickman's career buddy that's that Hickman's is career. that is i heartily recommend it it's the it's the creation of the krakoan age it's moira mctaggart becomes a mutant she tells charles xavier and magneto how to build this new universe and essentially if I can boil it down to one thing is like mutants always lose because you're a nice guy. Be a dickhead and then maybe we won't lose. It's essentially what it is. Everything else is kind of they get the you know the they live on this island and and they be, they create a mutant nation. That's I, I mean it does make sense though with your whole notion of like especially the advice to Charles because like if I was Magneto, right? I'd be like 
listen, Charles, you keep on saying that you're not a dick, but you really are one, just like me. Finally, you admit it. Now we can get over that. We can be friends. We can both be bad guys together. It's great. I get it. Now, Hawks and Pox was good. I, I, I've enjoyed this X-Men run. Don't get me wrong. And another X-Men run that I've uh, enjoyed uh, is my recommendation. It's one of my favorite X-Men runs of all time. And you can collect it in uh, a Marvel masterwork. It's uh, The X-Men, Volume 6. So not Uncanny X-Men. This is The X-Men. This is actually the original issues uh, before they took a hiatus and just started reprinting it. Before Giant Size X-Men, number one. This is a collection of The X-Men, issues 54 through 66. Again, the the X-Men book was tanking. Nobody was reading it. And uh, out of the blue comes Neil Adams as an artist. And he teams with Roy Thomas, who had been writing the series for a little while here. And they put together a string of issues which... Good gracious. Uh, I I remember reading them for the first time in X-Men Classics, which I think were one of the few times they reprinted these issues in X-Men Classics, just because they were so good. The art's great. The storylines are good. And they bring back a lot of the aspects uh, of X-Men that it's weird to think that they didn't touch up until this point. Like, you finally get the Sentinels back, which, like, the Sentinels are an awesome bad guy. If you're having this allegory about... People being hunted down, having like faceless robots do the hunting is great. And so like they introduce them in like issues like 14 and 15 of X-Men. And then for like 30 some, 40 some issues, they aren't in the picture at all. Huge mistake. So finally they bring them back and and it's a great storyline. It's one of the best stories. It's the first appearance of Havoc in his costume, who's one of my favorite X-Men. You get this other one called The Last X-Men with this great Neil Adams cover with Cyclops like blasting a couple Sentinels walking up to him and he's all tattered in his uniform. You get Sauron in those issues. You get an issue that's uh, written by Danny O'Neill. You can even get an issue uh, where the X-Men fight the Hulk and that's got Sal Bushima art, which is, which is great too. Uh, overall, it's just a great book and if you if you can find it, You can get just the Neil Adams issues that I just talked about in a gallery edition, one of those big oversized hardcovers with just oversized pages of all of the uh, uh, Neil Adams drawn X-Men, which, again, I think is the beginning of really good artists being on the X-Men, right? That's one thing that we always think about, whether it was Neil Adams, whether it was Art Adams, whether it was John Byrne, whether it was... um, Dave Cochran, whether it was eventually Jim Lee, whether it was Will Cascio, and it started with Neil Adams. I guess it started with Jack Kirby, but whatever. Chad? Love that Havoc costume. I never really forgave Larry Stroman for putting him in that 1990s horrible costume getup. I I mean, I love the Peter David X Factor, but... I just hated that costume choice. Yeah. Plus, it's it, it, this is one of my favorite teams. You had the original five X-Men of Cyclops Beast, Iceman, Angel, and, and, and Jean Grey. But then you get, like, towards the tail end, you get Havoc and Polaris. Could you imagine a run with that? Yeah, you actually can. It's X-Men The Hidden <laughs> Years. John Byrne wrote it, which is actually pretty good. But that was a great team that didn't get a lot of play. Chad. There you go. All right. So my recommendation, thinking back to the Sickman stuff, I was like, okay, 
So we have a character and uh, Moira McTaggart who makes a choice that changes everything. She opens up her mind to Charles Xavier, you know, her 10 lives and all that other stuff. And then from that point, the characterizations uh, of a bunch of people you've known and care about, they change a little bit. They seem a little bit off. And then a bunch of people die and it doesn't matter. And where does that happen all the time? But what if? <laughs> and so that's the way I'm viewing the Hickman run of uh, X-Men, is this is a giant what-if storyline that instead of being done in one, is just taking hundreds upon hundreds of issues uh, along the way. And I was looking through the original what-if volume, which what-if volume one is great, what-if volume two is also lots of fun. The X-Men did not get a lot of play in what-if volume one. I think Conan appeared in more stories than the X-Men did. <laughs> In that first round of uh, of what if? So my recommendation is going to be, what if the original Marvel series, Volume One? You get some classics in there. It starts off with what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four, uh, which he did then. Eventually. Yeah, no. So many of these stories ended up being future Marvel uh, arcs. You know, what if uh, Gwen Stacy didn't die, or what if people knew that Daredevil was blind? What if the agents of Atlas were the original Avengers? What if Jane Foster became four? Yeah. The only thing the Hickman run is missing is a giant bald guy in a toga introducing all the stories. <laughs> but it's definitely, it follows that what if format, at least in my mind. So why not go back to the originals? The omnibuses are out there. You can actually find a lot of them uh, on the secondary markets a little bit cheaper even to save some bucks. But yeah, what if uh, omnibus volume one? Uh, check it out. Yeah, and those are really great because there's a variety of different covers you can get for them. Like my particular one is the one with the bullpen. I think you can get one with uh, the Jane Foster Thor. Um, I think mine is the – did I get the Spider-Man one, the Fantastic Five? I don't know, but I know that you can get a couple of them. Oh, there's oh, yeah, Marvel, mis- Marvel missing a trick. They should have shipped those in a – in a plastic that you can't see the cover. So it's a what if, what cover are you going to get? <laughs> that would piss off a lot of people. Yeah, it would, because they'd be buying them. And that if you open it, you destroy the value. But you like, want to know if you've got the cover or not. Exactly. That is, like a, that is like a $60 blind bag. Like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> you can't open it, because if you open it, you're destroying the value. But you don't know if you don't open it, which, oh, I love it. I love it. I'm just imagining the Amazon return. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that we hope you don't return is the last comic shop. We hope you do return to it. Don't bring the stuff back. Exactly. Don't bring our stuff back. You keep it. Caveat emptor. Fire beware. You keep these podcasts that we're sending out there into the ether. You keep them. You listen to them. You rate. You review. You subscribe. You do all those wonderful things so that you don't miss another episode of our show. And coming up next week, we are starting six weeks of our movie mayhem. Yes. Movie Mayhem is back for another year. If you don't know about this awesome event, it's where The Last Comic Shop takes a comic book and the movie adaptation. We do a review of both the comic book and the adaptation. Next week, because of Star Wars and May the Force be with you, we are actually not only reviewing a Star Wars comic with uh, Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader series, but we're also going to be talking about Return of the Jedi because it's going to be the 40th anniversary of that awesome movie that I remember seeing in the theaters. It was the only one I saw in the theaters. Jay wants the nubbed up song. Yep, the- 
<laughs> we've got Guardians of the Galaxy. We've got Akira. We've got the 80s Flash Gordon movie. All the way up to Spider-Man, the new uh, Into the Spider-Verse movie that we're coming out the first week of June. So six full weeks of awesome comic book movie fun, all for you. Uh, and make sure that you're also buying your bags, boards, and boxes out at bcwsupplies.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all kinds of that stuff, as well as getting 10% off your order if you use promo code LCSPOD. That's again over at bcwsupplies.com, promo code LCSPOD. And while we may be the last comic shop podcast we hope you need, we don't want to end up being the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to go out there uh, to the comic shops near you. Uh, you need, if you need to find one, you can go to the comic shop locator at www.comicshoplocator.com or you can find things like uh, the X-Men Inferno series, both old and classic. Or maybe you want to find the Hawks and Pox where all this Hickman stuff started. Maybe the new things are not your cup of tea. You want to go back to the Roy Thomas, Neil Adams X-Men? That was the Marvel Masterworks Volume 6 or that gallery edition Andy was talking about with the Neil Adams art there. Embiggened. It's wonderful stuff. Or you want to go back to the olden days and find What If Volume 1 in uh, Omnibus Edition. If you need to find us, uh, you can always go back to our home base that'll tell you about social media stuff and the merch we have in store, Jay. What, what do we have in store these days? Well, we've got shirts. We've got tote bags. This week, you can get a special on Warlock Arms, should you need an arm. <laughs> Self-friend needs an arm. Self-friend needs an arm. Uh, also, check out our social media. We're pretty active on Twitter. You can see the action figures that you never bought, probably still on the shelf somewhere at KB Toys. We've got polls every week. Sometimes they're interesting. We've got classic golden age comic books to put you to bed lots of stuff all available uh just go to the home base at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com all right and until next week when we start our movie mayhem get your popcorn ready i'm the host with the most andy larson i was joined by chad smith jay scott and remember until next week stay safe stay crocoan and remember that if you don't want to get killed by magneto don't wear a metal helmet I love that bit. Can you kill her? Well, she walks around in a metal helmet, so yeah, I could. But I'm not going to. Shop was a 2023 Black Angus production.